Digital Humanities. Hello, and welcome to Experimental Humanities Out Loud, the podcast where we investigate how technology mediates what it means to be human. I'm Laura Conruther, an anthropology professor here at Bard College, and I'll be taking you through this series of episodes about the Experimental Humanities Sound Cluster. This episode of EH Out Loud takes us through some of the Sound Cluster's memories of the Sound in Theory, Sound in Practice Symposium that we held in the spring of 2016. So the podcast comes out of two different recorded meetings with core members of the Sound Cluster which includes me, Laura Conruther, in anthropology, Danielle Ryu in human rights program and who also runs Human Rights Radio, Julianne Swartz in studio arts, Matthew Diddy in physics, Olga Tulumi in art history, Alex Benson in literature, and Maria Sonovitsky, who was in music at Bard and has since left us, sadly, and now teaches at Berkeley. Maria joined us on a Skype call for one of the conversations. In addition, you will hear some segments from the symposium itself. So let's begin. In my memory, how the symposium happened was supposed to be a very small event, as I recall. No. In the beginning. I was always (laughs) thinking of it as something very big. Oh, really? (laughs) Well, I remember some of the initial discussions around the symposium being that because our group was so interdisciplinary and because we had both practitioners and scholars, that it would be nice to have that reflected somehow in the symposium, right? Which which created the idea both of doing the panels as a kind of hybrid, um, you know, performance slash scholarship thing. And and offering the the installations and I mean the thing that Julianne ended up supervising, but also Olga the class that we were teaching right we had that installation, oh my um, the geographies of sound installation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I was, I was yeah. just looking back at the panel at the schedule, which I was kind of amazed that it was only a day and a half that <laughs> symposium because it seems like there's so much in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's helpful to talk through, but yeah, like I think the structure it is. of the day. Yeah. But. Um, this is just informational, but we had the we had one day of keynotes with Emily Thompson and Jonathan Stern, and then the next day was structured around three panels of uh, on orality, transmission, and resonance. Um, and between those were what we called interludes, with sound walks and physics demonstrations, and um, oral, history. Art, oral history workshop. We all also drafted pieces on kind of prompts on those topics of orality transmission and resonance and so just drafting those came out of a year and a half of reading and talking we had very interesting discussion determining what the terms of those three categories would be like the way we structured the day was kind of around and this all got complicated in the content of all the panels but um around increasing distance this is one way of thinking about increasing Mm -hmm. distance from a sonorous source right from the ear to the means of transmission to resonances later historically or in other spaces. I think the interludes made it really distinct as an academic conference that we made a very conscious decision to have it be experiential also. Yep. See, so they have see, Let's do just that phrase. See, see, 
That's interesting. That's a ninth. Um, right there. All right. Now let's go back to the first phrase. I chaired the orality panel, and I remember that it was day was just getting started. The whole setup was the the it was being broadcast live and also archived on the radio by the community radio station WGXC. Um, so there's everything was going into a panel, but I didn't know that yet. So I wasn't talking into a mic for the first couple minutes. So it was, it was uh, kind of reflecting on it afterwards, right? Like that should have been part of the transmission panel. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, the fact that I was kind of getting started. And so I started the day with that kind of awkward experience of being unsure where my voice was traveling. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to the second day of our sound symposium. Very excited to get the day started after the, uh, the Georgian Polyphony Choir with our first panel of the today. Of today, this this panel is focused on the concept of orality, uh, and throughout the day, we'll also have panels, roundtables later on the themes of transmission and resonance. It's my great pleasure to just say a, a few words about the topic um, to throw some questions, and then um, introduce our four speakers today. They'll each speak for about 10 minutes, and then we'll throw it open to um, a discussion with everyone in the room. Um, I teach in American literature here. Um, literary studies occupies something of a fringe or, or a marginal position in, in sound studies, or even an oppositional position, not I think oppositional in a polemical sense, but oppositional in being in a definitional sense. Um, we focus on text. My students this semester in, in the sound and literature class have been helping me think through the way that that can break down, the way that reading and listening can be thought of in relationship to each other. It wasn't attempting to do like a thin definition of sound studies, but rather a really expansive one that even goes beyond often how it's articulated as a cross-disciplinary space. Mm -hmm. um, and and I really can see now why that was so kind of special. And it's one of the things I'm really proudest of is that we, we held the space for people who were coming from such, from coming to sound from just such different locations as artists, as scholars, as acousticians, you know, as radio engineers. It was not only the interdisciplinary nature of this, but the multi-modality of producing knowledge, like we had an exhibition, performances, keynotes, co like panel conversations. My name is Danielle Ryu. I am the Associate Director of the Human Rights Project here at BARD and a member of the Experimental Humanities Sound Cluster. I'm really excited to be able to introduce our theme today, which is transmission, and to introduce all of the four presenters today and to moderate the discussion that follows, which I think will be brief because of time, but rich in, uh, in content, hopefully. Uh, so, like I said, this <laughs> that's, that's up to you, Olga. Um, transmission highlights the way that sound is conveyed through a variety of different media. 
To consider transmission, we need to address the nature of the medium or format, its communicative limitations and potentials, and the social protocols for its use, as well as how sound travels through it. Transmission, literally meaning to send across, often carries with it a strong spatial connotation. Communications, satellites, undersea cables, switchboards, tie together humans and non-humans, excuse me, and global techno-social networks, uh, though of varying speed, cost, and saturation depending on where you live in the world. A web of transnational and bilateral agreements and national regulatory frameworks condition how and where these networks operate, what architect and theorist Keller Easterling terms extra statecraft in her 2014 book of the same title, the systems of decision-making and authority that govern the ways that infrastructure evolves and becomes integrated into and along with societies. At the same time, this technological understanding of transmission is often projected onto communication at large, reducing the multiple modes of transmission into a generalized notion of a neutral process. In other words, we often think of transmission as a simple or direct process by which something is carried from one point to another. The speakers in this panel will present ideas to complicate this notion of neutrality and will highlight the ways in which transmission can suggest a number of meanings and processes at once. I think I took the first stab at resonance trying to think about how to squish it together into a paragraph that seemed specific and coherent, but also also like satisfied our physicist, right? That didn't only talk about resonance <laughs> in the strictly like metaphorical sense. And I remember just like triangulating that was really tricky. And then the revisions were, you know, so helpful in sort of f- fixing it so that it, it satisfied all the different needs. And if I can speak in my defense here a little bit, when I, when, uh, I started saying, well, you know, this is what resonance really is. It was yeah. not to be the, you know, objectivist scientist putting a clamp down on other people. What I was trying to say was, you know, if you act from, from a physicist's point of view, the two aspects of resonance are that, first of all, the system has a natural frequency that it wants to oscillate at. Yeah. And the other thing is that you you put in energy of some kind and because of a match between what's being given in and what already is there, you get a large response. And this is all physics talk, but clearly all those phrases carry over to the different ways that people use the word resonance. The idea that it isn't just about the space, it isn't just about the source, it's about the fact that these two somehow have a match to each other that gives you this large response. Resonance sketches relationships. It produces a network that tethers vibrating objects to listeners in a web of signification that has both material, physical, acoustic, and effective aesthetic ideological dimensions. Further, in its vernacular use, it is suggestive of sound's power to allude, to evoke, to index feeling. 
Metaphorically, we say something resonates with us as an assertion of our subjectivity. It is a method of assimilating the operations of memory and sentiments to the self. Thus, resonance may recast sound by launching it well past its origin into new contexts. In doing so, it troubles assumptions about the ephemerality of sound through its emergent and contingent nature. That's where I was getting my point in there. Testimonies resonate with drudges and jurors, just as songs resonate with audiences past the moment of delivery. Resonant voices are valued for their expressivity and authoritativeness. They may be held in suspicion as instruments of ideological sway or rhetorical coercion. A resonant utterance may reverberate long after it has dissipated acoustically. It may generate unexpected empathetic resonance or in some instances pain in those who hear it. Rather than fixing sound into a form, a resonant sound moves with, through, or past those who hear it. As Veit Erlman has pointed out, resonance is eminently suited to dissolve the binary of the materiality of things and the immateriality of signs that has been at the center of Western thought for much of the modern era. This panel seeks to explore the tensions produced by resonance in its multiple roles as an acoustic, effective, and ideological phenomenon. Uh, I, I, w I picked up on the, uh, the, the lead from my colleague, Bert Brody, who taught a course called Light and Color, which was actually a required part of the photography major. So students had to take a course in the physics of light as part of their major in physics. And I thought, well, the art that I know the best is music, so why don't I develop a course on, on sound and on music? But in this, I am entirely self-taught. I never took a course on acoustics. Um, I actually am a experimental nuclear physicist by trade. I, I work at atom smashers, you know, but physicists have the arrogance to think they can figure out anything. And uh, I teach this acoustics course at least once a year. I've expanded it to, to take in 40 or 45 students a year. I've, Students come in thinking, oh, I'm interested in music, I'm interested in sound. They don't know that I'm sneakily teaching them physics all, the, all along the way. So, the question I'd like to engage in is, why do things make the sounds they do? And I'm going to make that question more specific, but I'm going to get at it at first by talking about things that we know pretty well. So, for instance, when I blow on this tube, I get an octave higher. When I take these two metal pipes, and if I hit this one, I get something that's almost an octave. It's very close. Okay, so that semester, Bob Balecki and I had we were teaching sound as a sculptural medium. Yes, that was the first time we taught it. And we decided that a big part of the class would be geared towards making installations, site-specific installations in the Blum Avery complex um, for this for this event. And the students, you know, knowing they'd have this public venue, really excelled and made incredible work for the presentation. And we installed it in all the winding hallways um, and cubbies in the in that um, in those two buildings, yeah. and so that's why we needed this green line to direct people through the through the exhibits. I remember like the the line of tape. So we we had two students who were in the geographies of sound class. 
who made a map for us. Do you remember Olga? Oh that we, God, I think yeah. you really worked with them on this, like that made a map of the whole space for people to arrive, but also they ended up putting this like path of green tape throughout the music department and, and yes. film and the conservatory that was supposed to be the path that people could follow, um, you know, around the exhibition space. And I just remember yeah. that that was yeah, there for yeah, weeks afterwards. Yeah. And it was just this wonderful memory of, of how, like, how much stimulation, sonic stimulation in particular, had been in that space, you know, for, for our symposium. It was really fun to sort of live with the memory of yeah. the path for a little while. Um, and then one day it ended up as a huge ball of tape on my desk. <laughs> That's right. That's, That's great. great. Maria, were you the one that reached out to Pauline Oliveros? Yeah, I did. Yeah, That's, <laughs> so that, that was another that amazing part. Was part of it too. Yeah, it was. Um, I had been I had been eager for a reason to reach out to Pauline Oliveros ever since arriving in the Hudson Valley, um, and this felt like a perfect opportunity. So we were able to get Pauline to come and lead a deep listening workshop which was pretty amazing. And we had a lot of people there for it. Mm -hmm. Singing as it slowly. Slow. Remember, we did the slow song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. song. I mean, that was that an amazing. was an incredible um, sort of cohesion of yeah. the day. Yeah. Yeah, that was an incredible experience. Yeah. And it was a kind of almost elation is what I felt. Oh, yeah. At the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Definitely euphoric. Yeah. And um, very moving. Mm -hmm. I I was crying. Yeah, it's incredible. Just the um, mix of people there that you know, our faculty, our students, our staff, the mm -hmm. visitors, mm -hmm. all you know, singing together essentially yeah. in this. I think everyone, everyone's sensitivity was heightened by that stage to go as far as away as you could from treating sound as background and instead make it foreground in your consciousness in a way right. that we don't always. Right. And she was perfect for saying, okay, when when you adopt that mindset, then all these things become a, you know, a transcendental experience. I mean, that's something that she's gifted us. And I think it was one of her last... Um, mm -hmm. Thanks. I think so, yeah. You know, and that was that was something also incredibly special. EH Out Loud is produced at Bard Center for Experimental Humanities by Krista Calabero, Karina Cape, and Bird Cohen with Season 2 produced in collaboration with me, Laura Conruther, Danielle Ryu, and others in the EH Sound Cluster. Sound editing and music by, again, me, Laura Conruther, Danielle Ryu, and Bird Cohen. Transcription by Hannah Hallett Gutierrez and Ariel West. 
A special thanks in this episode to Leslie Flanagan, whose beautiful music we heard at the Sound Symposium, and Carl Linich, who led us in Georgian polyphony at the Sound Symposium, as well as the Experimental Humanities Media Corps. Visit us at eh.bard.edu to learn more about the EH Sound Cluster, as well as other projects at the Center. Thanks, and have a good day.